Welcome to Long Story Long. I'm your host, Lisa Curry. Today's guest is the wonderful Asher Perlman. Asher is a comedian, TV writer, and New Yorker cartoonist. Um, We got into a lot of how he got into drawing cartoons for the New Yorker in the first place, and um, pretty much this is just a step-by-step. It's super simple, and by the end of the episode, you'll probably be published in the New Yorker. Um, That could be a lie, but you've got to listen to find out. Here you go. (laughs) Hey, Asher, how are you? (laughs) I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat. Thanks for being on. Um, I was just telling my roommate yesterday that uh, I was going to be recording with you today, and she's like, oh, my God, he has the best cartoons. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm angry about it. Just furious. I totally justified. And I love your roommate. I've no, I don't know who they are, but I love your roommate so much. Uh, she's pretty great. Okay. Um, I, I am so curious because I, I'm like, it's so cool that you do what you do and you're so good at it. Where did you, first of all, where did you grow up? Okay. I grew up in Seattle, Washington, but... I left when I was 11 and we moved to Madison, Wisconsin. So I think Madison, Wisconsin is a a more accurate answer, even though it's technically a lie, because I spent my my formative years there. So I think I I consider myself a Wisconsinite, but it is a lie. Yeah, that tracks. And it's two great cities. I mean... Madison is so cute. <laughs> Madison, honestly, is so adorable, and I didn't. I don't think I fully appreciated it until I left and came back, and I thought, man, this city is so charming, and I love it so much. Yeah, we never do, and then we, like, spend some time in a city, like a big city, and then we're like, oh, I'm getting my ass kicked every day. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be a time when I didn't get my ass kicked. When was that? Oh, in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I missed that time. Um, <laughs> when you were growing up, did you know you wanted to get into comedy? I don't think I knew anything. When I was growing up, I, you know, I'm I'm envious of people who have the stories about watching SNL as a kid and thinking, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. And just having this confident drive with a very specific goal. I'm really jealous of that because growing up, I didn't have that. And Mm-hmm. I think having that sense of purpose would have been really refreshing in a way. But um, no, I mean, at, at one point, I, I was a political science major in college. And I... Oh, me too. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> the only two. <laughs> That's awesome. Wait, where did you go to school? Purdue. Purdue. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. I did drop out, though. Where did you go to school? I went to... It's a small liberal arts school in Wisconsin named Lawrence University. I know of Lawrence. No, you vaguely. don't. As, no one as knows in of I've Lawrence. heard of it. Wow. As in I've heard of it and I vaguely remember somebody else telling me they went there. Okay. And, and nothing beyond that. Like I couldn't tell you what city it was in. It's an Apple. Actually, some comics know it because it's in Appleton, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And there is a comedy club that I think has a good reputation amongst oh, touring yeah, I think comics. Maybe Skyline is an Appleton. Skyline. Yeah, that's the one. I've never even been mm-hmm. there, but um people know about it because of yeah um uh that's awesome so wait when you were a kid what did you think you wanted to do i mean okay to, to, to be fair um <laughs> to be fair a politician no i mean when i was a kid i think i did i did want to be an actor and i, I don't it was not comedy specifically but i did children's theater and there there's actually it's still around i just looked it up there's a group in madison named the young shakespeare players and it's okay a 
it's a it's a theater company that puts on full length unedited Shakespeare plays and the, all of the performers are between eight years old and eighteen years old. And oh I think goodness. it's <laughs> I think it's so great. And I, I did <laughs> I did something like eight Shakespearean productions with them. And so I think there was a part of me that wanted to do that. And I, but, but I think it was all it was all sort of in the world of acting, just not comedy specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, when and when you went to college for political science, were you were you thinking like, oh, I need to do something practical? Was that <laughs> what was going on there? Even though like I, nothing feels practical anymore. The only thing that feels practical is like getting a degree in TikTok. Um, <laughs> if you want to actually used, make money, <laughs> it used to be it used to be like engineering, and now it's just really try to get followers. <laughs> yeah, regardless on. of what you do, if you're a realtor, if you're a mechanic, you really should be on Instagram. That is kind of wild. It really is. Like it used to be, I mean, I, 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 like, I feel like dentists now get like clients through, like, I feel like yeah. every single industry now is like, well, you really got to go viral. And it's like, why is a dentist going viral? Like, you shouldn't <laughs> have to do that. Yeah. If I see my doctor on Instagram, I'm getting a new doctor. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. Like, Goodbye. I mean, my nightmare is seeing my therapist on TikTok. I feel like that would be... <laughs> And they have those like little like word bubbles and they're like things my client said to me this week and they're just like pointing at them and it's like, I'm so sad. I'm lonely. Boo hoo. Wait, so what did you think you want? Did you seriously think you were going to be a politician? I don't think I don't think I knew. Again, I didn't have this. I didn't have the sort of confident drive that people have. I I went to college with the and this is going this is you know, such such the liberal arts mindset. But I truly mm-hmm. went just because I wanted exposure to things and people. And uh-huh. uh, I started as a philosophy major because I enjoyed philosophy. And then mm-hmm. I think two years in, I sort of got not bored with, but just I was like, I want something more specific. So I was a I was a political science major, but my focus was political theory. So. Um, in that's, other words, the a least nice crossover. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a good crossover. But in terms of um, when you asked if I was pursuing something realistic, I don't think uh, <laughs> political theory from 16th century England is going to be the, <laughs> the job getting degree that anyone would want. And, <laughs> and they were both teaching me. I mean, like, and they're like, you're going to have to wait till I die. Yeah, one was my so, advisor and one was my professor. And Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So did you pursue something in that field once you were done with college? Absolutely not. I, 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 actually, <laughs> I actually don't even know how one would. I mean, I, I assume that anything in academia, you have to get a mm-hmm. PhD. I don't know. But I mean, I, I just had an undergrad and I had done improv comedy. Are, are you familiar with comedy sports? I am. Okay, so I did comedy sports in Madison mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And I think I was the youngest member. Humble brag. But um, <laughs> I, I, I was, when I was like 16, I started doing comedy. I mean, you were also doing Shakespeare as an eight-year-old. So <laughs> it seems like it's natural. Poorly, though. I was doing it poorly. Although I probably was doing comedy sports poorly, too. But, um, so I, I, had, I loved improv. And I remember when I was when, when I was still in Madison, one of the comedy sports performers visited Chicago and went to mm-hmm. at that point I think it was still called Improv Olympic mm-hmm. but so what became IO and now became closed I don't I, I don't know what the status <laughs> of, I think they're reopening <laughs> at some point 
<laughs> I do remember I was doing Second City at the time in LA that Improv Olympic, uh, I think it was this time, or maybe it was just when I heard of it, uh, but they got sued by the International Olympic Committee for having the word Olympic. I think they took a look at some of the performers and they're like, hold on, we must stop this. <laughs> <laughs> None of these people could be Olympians. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. If, I, I think that that's true. I mean, that's what I heard, too, is that they got sued and then had to change it to I.O. And the thing mm-hmm. I think is I never understood why it would, would be called Improv Olympics. Improv, I mean, I, it was I think it maybe it started out competitive in the way that mm-hmm. comedy sports is. I'm not sure. But by the time I got there, it was all, um, it, it, you know, Harold shows. And, and that was also in Madison. No, no, sorry. So when I was in Madison, <laughs> I'm telling the, the worst story. When I was in Madison, was a fellow comedy sports member visited Chicago and she came back and she said, you, you know, uh. you guys, I went to this thing. It's called the Improv Olympic. It's so cool. It's, um, you know, it's long form improv. And I never, I didn't even, I was so unfamiliar with the difference between long form and short form that I didn't know there was, I, like for me, improv was, uh, I mean, it was whose line is it anyway? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was zip zaps off and big booty, <laughs> which is an that's an insane game that we that, that that's yeah. a warm up. Um, but it was uh, whose line is it anyway? And then comedy sports. So I didn't when mm-hmm. she said long form, I, I didn't even know what that meant. Um, but I think it's sort of tucked in the back of my head all through college. And I also did short form with the college improv troupe. Mm-hmm. And then when. When I graduated, I was in a band at the time, and my my friends who I was in a band with were moving to Chicago. So I thought, well, I'll mm-hmm. move to Chicago, and that's perfect because I want to perform. I want to pursue performing, and um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll always have my fallback career of band. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and, and but but I had heard about now at that point I'd heard about IO, and I knew what Second City was mm-hmm. again just by reputation. I'd never been. So I moved to to Chicago to pursue uh, playing in a band and also uh, improv comedy, <laughs> which notoriously go together always. Yes, uh, and I mean at that point, <laughs> fame and fortune was guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do believe like the Smashing Pumpkins came up also through Second City around that time. Then in the nineties, I think I think Billy Corgan was like a level A teacher, and then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1979 is actually about a, uh, a a main stage set that he did. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you you then go from Madison to Chicago. How long were you in Chicago? I was in Chicago, um, it, I, I think, ten, almost 10 years, maybe nine nine or 10 years. I moved, I moved to New York in 2018. So, yeah, 10 years. Almost on the money, I guess. Yeah, that's a good amount of time. I've never said that um, out loud, I don't think. Did you, That's how did wild. you like Chicago? Were you loving it? Oh my gosh, I love Chicago. Wait, so you said you do, you you did Second City, but you did LA, you did Second City Hollywood? Yeah, I grew up in like an hour outside of Chicago, but I just didn't, <laughs> I don't want to say I was sheltered, but I just, I was sheltered from entertainment in a way. Like I grew up on whatever my grandma and my dad were watching, which was like Shirley Temple, Gunsmoke, uh, Zorro, the series. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, pretty this, good selection. Are, I don't think I've seen any of them, but I feel like I feel like that's not bad for being curated by grandma and dad. That's that's pretty the good. The most 
the most like I guess uh relevant thing I watched was like Golden Girls with my mom and then Seinfeld with my parents later way later but all of this to say I I grew up outside of Chicago didn't even know Second City existed until I came to LA which is crazy to think of because it is so huge but my parents were just like not into the arts really yeah 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 I mean uh, totally I think that now that we're in comedy it you know, the, all these names sort of have obviously have meaning, but mm-hmm. yeah, like the vast, vast, vast majority of people have never heard of any of the words we're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm saying IO, second, like it's not, um, it, within the comedy world, I, I, I wouldn't expect my parents to know what any of that stuff is. Yeah. But um, sorry, to answer your question. Oh, go for it. I love Chicago. I still mm-hmm. love Chicago and I miss Chicago. And I do think it's a really great city to, to come up in um yeah i really i really yeah i'll say that to anyone i love it um that's awesome so you were doing improv and playing in your successful band <laughs> what was i just, I just say my band played <laughs> <laughs> my band played yeah we're, we're, we're called the jonas brothers you may have heard of us no, uh, <laughs> we, i think my band had three or four shows before we and i, I I'm, I, I'm i can't remember now but i'm worried that i dropped out of it I hope that that's not true, but I think at the time I was like doing improv and the band, and I think I decided I kind of need to focus on one. And so mm-hmm. I think I left, and then they ended up um, getting a new. I was a bass player, <laughs> no oh. big deal. And I think that, that they got a new <laughs> bass player and started a new band, who which was really good. Oh, that's great! And they are still the Jonas Brothers. They're still the Jonas Brothers. So I'm that one <laughs> Jonas Brother that no one talks about. <laughs> Don't they have like a young, they have, I think there is like one younger, older Jonas Brother who's not in the Jonas Brothers, right? Uh, you know, I have no idea. I think, like, I think of that as music for children, although it's probably like people two years younger than me listening to it. Like, realistically. <laughs> I'm like, there's the Wiggles and then there's the Jonas Brothers right. and they're pretty much <laughs> a lot of overlap. I think the Wiggles grew up to be the Jonas Brothers. No, I, I, do, I do think there is one Jonas Brother who's kind of like just like he's just a brother. But I mean, you know, I'm sure he gets some of that financial kickback. So that seems like the way to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at what point, I guess, at what point in, I would assume during your time in Chicago, did you realize like oh i want to do comedy for a living like this is this is it or did you have that realization in madison i knew that i wanted i mean i I knew that i wanted to do it for a living Mm -hmm. i don't think i knew that it was possible to do for a living until i mean it's a classic case of not knowing something's possible until you meet Mm -hmm. someone doing it which is why it's so important to Mm -hmm. to expose yourself to lots of people and things at a young age but um i think once i learned about the existence of the Second City Touring Company and that there were gigs outside of just the main stage and um, Mm -hmm. ETC uh, stages that I thought, oh, okay, so this is sort of something that people do. And then, you know, maybe they supplement it with teaching or um, booking commercials, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then once I knew it was possible, then it became something that I was very intent on getting, although never really expected to get. And so I think when I finally got a, a gig on the touring company that was sort of as far as I'd thought ahead. Cause I never, mm-hmm. I, I think there was like a part of me that was like, yeah, I'll audition every year, but I'm not going to get it. And then when I got it, I thought, <laughs> Oh my God. So now I have to figure out what I want to do after this. Like, it, it, it's, it's the, it's the dog catching the car. 
Yeah. Um, but um, how long were you in touring company? I toured for, I actually had a very short, some people toured for years, but I only toured for six months. And then mm. I did the ETC stage, which is one of the two um, nightly uh, nightly reviews that, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. you're, you're in Chicago. And yeah. then I did that for a year and then, um, yeah, and that was my second city uh, journey. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it is also so nice to see that people can make a living doing other, like to what you were saying, I just thought there was like Jerry Seinfeld and then that was kind of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess when I grow up, I want to be a Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, and I also didn't realize this, and this is real dumb, dumb, uh, but... Until I lived in L.A., I just thought like, oh, like once I decided I wanted to be a comedian, which I was already in L.A., I I thought, oh, I guess I'm just I'm resigning my life myself. I'm resigning myself to a life of being poor. Mm. And then I started to find out how much some comics make for like a weekend or whatever. And I was like, what? Yeah. Hold on. (laughs) But I think also like doing Second City was my first exposure to knowing that you can make money doing some form of comedy. And And also... Second City, the touring company and all those things are the, pretty much the only way you can make a, a living doing improv. So yeah, huge congrats to that because it's a very small thing unless you're on Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. No, I, I, I never lost track of how lucky I was to be doing it. I, I remember even, even in Chicago, I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was making mm-hmm. my entire, um, I mean, it was my only source of income. And, mm-hmm. I, I, and I remember feeling... And I still feel very grateful that I was doing stuff that I literally would do for free. If yeah. like, if they were just like, would you like to do the show? I'd be like, yeah, I'll do yeah. that. And then I'll work an IT job during the day or, you know, or whatever it was. But yeah. and so I, I still I felt and still feel very grateful that I was able to do that. Does it feel to you? Uh, and I think a lot of people share the sentiment, So, maybe, but maybe it doesn't. Does it feel to you like making money from comedy sometimes feels like you're pulling one over on someone like really you're giving me money for this? <laughs> okay. let's see how long i can pull this off no i, yeah. I mean, what, t- totally and i think that 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 i think that can be a dangerous mindset for especially younger uh comedians who don't know that they're actually creating something that's worthwhile and deserve to mm-hmm. get paid for it because yeah I, I think that sort of exposure mindset and just you know it's good to feel fortunate but you don't want to feel um Entitled. you're all yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I don't know, I, I'm, I, I think like, uh, I'm not being clear. I think for years, there's sort of this, like, you can feel so lucky to be doing something that then when someone offers to pay you, you're like, oh, my God, I, I would do this for free. So, you know, no, don't even don't even do that. And then mm-hmm. you turn around and realize, wait, but you are like providing a service that not everyone can. So it is good to, yeah. like, I, I, I really respect because I, I don't really do it well. But whenever people are very adamant about being paid for their time or their work, I always really respect that because I, I'm like, yeah, that you are doing something very important. Whereas if, if you ask me to do something 90% of the time, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, my God, don't pay me. This is just like a fun hobby I do, even though I've been doing it professionally, you know, however many for years. years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's hilarious. At... Uh... After, so you were in Chicago for a while. What made you make the move to New York? Or like, when did you know you were ready to go to like a bigger market, I guess? I think it was, well, after I, so I had the same experience. After I made the touring company, I had that sort of, oh man, I, I did the thing. What do I do now moment? And then after I 
moved from the touring company to the ETC stage, I had that same realization where I thought, oh man, now I have to, because this was also kind of a pie in the sky mm-hmm. thing. And now I have it. So I have to, you know, I, I, I like, I got the dream. So now I have to fall back asleep and find out what, what's next. So in Chicago, I, there are people who make a living uh, doing t- uh, t- teaching improv performing acting for their entire life but I, I do think it's a really small number of people and so mm-hmm. and and once you've done one of the stages at second city it's just harder to keep climbing and and I don't mean yeah I mean there, there are ways to do it like um yeah like TJ and Dave are still I mean they tour the world doing improv and oh, yeah they're both or I'm not sure if teach I think Dave is at least still based in Chicago so it, it is possible but I think it's I think I realized oh man if I want to keep growing and you know pursuing this I kind of have I, I sort of hit the ceiling for me yeah professionally so I knew I needed to move to one of the coasts and you know how like and you what? hate sunshine I hate sunshine <laughs> I don't like happiness I want to be sad and tight <laughs> in a small place so I chose New York actually I don't know if this did you ever hear the advice that someone someone said this to me they said, mm-hmm. look, if you are if you have a job offer, go to New York. If you don't have a job offer, go to LA because there are just more jobs. So if you're looking for one, that's the place you want to be. Is that did you ever oh, hear I that? I never heard that. Uh-uh. No, I just came out here because I had an uh, a, a horrible person. Uh my an aunt that lives here in Anaheim. And so I thought, well, that feels safer. And I also didn't realize that New York was I, I thought of New York as just Broadway, and I was like, well, I am not a singer or a dancer, so <laughs> I guess I'm not going to New York. I guess there's no purpose for me in New York, not knowing. I wish I would have gone to New York first, mm, knowing oh, that I got into stand-up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually, that's funny, because people will ask me now, like, which city should I go? And I'm like, I, I, I actually don't know. I can tell you my experience, but I literally have no yeah. idea what the good advice is. But the advice I received was... LA without a job, New York with a job. And so mm-hmm. I did so I was like, okay, I'm going to move to LA and then unless I get a job. So I started submitting packets and got a job in New York, so I moved to New mm-hmm. York. But that was the that was the only way I made the decision. And I actually don't know if that was good advice or if it was just one thing that one person said offhand what off the cuff once and then sure, it became yeah. like this foundational belief that I used to make <laughs> a, one of the biggest decisions of my life, but that is how I made it. I, I do feel like, I mean, that's awesome to move there with a job and it wouldn't make any sense for you to go to L.A. in that scenario when you have a job in sure, yeah, yeah. That would be wild. But it's so funny that like at that point in your life when you're when you're you come to a crossroads where you need to make a decision about something and somebody could any advice somebody tells you, you're like, yes, that's canon. Because there's a, <laughs> there's a I feel like there's a piece of you that is like someone make this fucking decision for me. So, it, I mean, it, if somebody had been like, "We'll go to LA. New York has really crazy spiders." I'd be like, "Okay, great. I'm going to LA." I mean, <laughs> it you're doesn't so matter right. what the advice is. You're so right. And I and I think the word choice of canon is so perfect because it really does just sort of sink in. And I don't have any information more than what this one person <laughs> is telling me. And so I wonder if I had told them, "You should know." I am basing 100% of my life decisions on what you're about to say. I wonder if they would have, I like, there's no way that they, they would have just that walked they, away. <laughs> I have to go.
this man is not well. Like, he surely has more opinions. But yeah, we're so at the whim of 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 little things, especially when you're at those turning points where you're trying to make a decision. Um, I like I think even when I was younger, even like I remember in college, there was a, a, a classmate wanted to go on a date, and one of my friends mm-hmm. who was older than I was and I looked up to said like, "Oh, I, I don't really like her," and I think he said it kind of off the cuff again, like he didn't even know that he was informing any decision I was making. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I remember thinking, okay, so I can't date her. And that's so wild that like, you should absolutely <laughs> not outsource such an important decision to a an opinion of someone who do- also doesn't even know that much. But that's... It is know. funny. I've had younger comics tell me, um, yeah, you know, you said this thing to me <laughs> eight years ago, and I've just thought of it ever since. And, I th- and I'm like, I don't remember... <laughs> giving that advice i don't remember thinking those thoughts what are you doing 100 no that that was I, I don't know if you ever taught but that i had that same experience mm-hmm. with when i when i was teaching improv and later i mean again it literally could be years later a student a former student would say one time in class you gave me this note and you know it totally informed how i approached this and blah blah blah, blah. and i and, and he would, would say the note and i would think one, I don't remember saying that. Two, I don't even know if I still believe that. <laughs> like, I, mean, clear, <laughs> clear, like, but if, I think if I ever knew that I had a, the, an, I think knowing that you have that much impact on someone would be crippling. So I'm glad I don't know yeah. in the moment because then <laughs> yeah. I would just sort of freeze and not be able to give any any advice at all. Yeah. Um, when I, I'm dying to know also how you got into cartooning and and getting them into the New Yorker. I mean, that is, it's so impressive to me that, and I took your class. Oh my God, thank you for being there. I wrote some stuff down and then I just closed it in a notebook. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I keep thinking, like it's on my, I have uh, my to-do list and my goals list have merged. So it's on my to-do list of like, fucking sit down and work on this for a couple of days, you know? Um, and it feels so intimidating. I think I, I think I may have seen like a documentary or I made this up in my mind. It's hard to tell. Um, <laughs> Either like, this comes from the deep recesses of my brain or someone told me on TV. I maybe dreamed this or I watched it with my eyes. I can't tell. <laughs> But I I remember seeing something like um maybe not even like a documentary like a like a short or something of cartoonists going physically into the New Yorker office and pitching things yeah yeah um, and it seemed so scary because there's these like seasoned cartoonists that are sitting there with a pile of like twenty they want to pitch for the week and they're like no 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 <laughs> no and I'm like. Who the fuck am I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, I, I I know the documentary you're talking about. I can't remember the name, but I also okay, saw. I'm it. glad it wasn't a favorite dream. <laughs> it was. I remember that dream you had. It, it was a dream. Uh, no, no, I, I do. I because I saw it too, and also thought that that experience was terrifying and intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. I actually I I only started. Um, well, let me think. So I wanted to cartoon. Uh, for a long time but it, it, again i guess i keep coming back to this you never know what's possible until you meet someone who's done it and so yeah it was sort of in the back of my mind and i would doodle and i i loved it but i didn't if someone had said would you like to submit to the new yorker i would have 
I mean, I, 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 like, I didn't know you could do, I didn't know that you could just submit. Mm-hmm. Like that's not even on my radar. Yeah. So it was just sort of for me and, and, uh, and my Instagram, of course. But um, uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, I got to get my numbers up. What do I do? <laughs> gotta get them. Oh, I'll start a new side profession. <laughs> <laughs> but I was at a, um, this, this, this is going to sound super out of character mm-hmm. because I, I never do this kind of thing. But a guy was coming to town, he was coming to New York. And um, his name is Irving Ron. I, I might be saying his last name wrong, but R-U-A-N, I think. And I had met him on Twitter because he was a humor writer. And I was, I was, I was you know, we were, we were basically, he, he was coming from the West Coast. He was coming to the East Coast. And he, he, I think he just emailed people that he knew from, like in New York, from comedy writing and said, hey, I'm going to be at this bar at this time if anyone wants to come you know please come and I thought that was such a good idea and also one that I would never have and I was like oh okay yeah I'll go to this so I went to I guess you would call it a networking I don't know what else it would be I guess a networking event and um most of the people there were McSweeney's writers New New Yorker humor writers or TV writers and there was one guy Jeremy Wynn who is a New Yorker cartoonist and somehow I ended up talking to him he said oh I'm a cartoonist for the New Yorker and that was the moment where I, one, I thought everyone who was a cartoonist was 400 years old and had been doing it forever. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I had this very, um, very inaccurate perception of who, who mm-hmm. did it. Um, and I also just didn't know that, like, anyone could start. And so I, again, out of character, but I said, hey, if I bought you, you know, could I buy you a coffee and just ask you about this? And... Um, I shouldn't be doing this because now everyone's going to ask Jeremy for a, a coffee to, to talk about it. But for some uh, reason... I'm messaging he, him right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. His Let me give you his email address. He will meet with anyone. I promise. I'm committing him to... Uh, no, but for some reason he said yes. And so we went out and, um, you know, I picked his brain and he looked at some of the stuff I've been working on and gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of really useful advice and just sort of insider knowledge that mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to get any other way and then I kept working on they call them sorry they call them batches so every week uh cartoonists put together a batch and so I, I put together a batch and he said well you know on Tuesdays all the cartoonists go and and pitch them in person and I would be happy to um to bring you along and introduce you to the editor and so I think looking back on it, I was not ready. Like, I mean, I, I, I still have that first batch that I showed her, and mm-hmm. I would be so embarrassed to <laughs> show anyone. So I assume none of those got in. No, no, none of them got in. But it was still a really great experience, and I met a handful of people who were all, basically you all sort of huddle together in this mm-hmm. in this tiny room and wait for your name to be called. And then you walk in and then, yeah, just watch the editor one by one look at your cartoons and... Um, is that terrifying? I feel like I'd rather just jump out of the fucking window. <laughs> well, that's the other option. There is an open window, so uh, <laughs> I mean, it was it was truly terrifying, especially because I had sort of come up in in sketch improv writing, etc., and it had been a while since I was new at something, and I think that was really scary to be. I guess more than new, I was bad at something, and I hadn't. Not that I'm. I'm this is not tooting my own horn, but I'd sort of honed the skill set that I was using for a while. So I, I didn't feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable in the way that I used to when I was going through classes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. 
and all of a sudden I was new and bad and um it was not a great feeling it was wild I mean I kind of want to like I now I kind of want to keep doing things that I'm new and bad at because it I feel like it's a good way to grow like all, now I'm like man I gotta get a I should start writing crossword puzzles and try to get a crossword puzzle accepted <laughs> like that like that's yeah. now I want to do I think it's kind of an addictive um I think it's, I think it's a really incredible feeling to be new and bad at mm-hmm. something and I want to keep doing it but I do think it's good for your brain I mean I do a lot of stuff that I things like that where I'm like I just have to do new things and uh learn new skills because I'm like I don't want to be old and have a dusty brain yeah <laughs> day, you know i'm like just fighting against that so hard i'm like i don't want to ever lose my brain which you know a lot of that is out of my control but i do i don't know listen i'm not a like a brainologist or anything but i do <laughs> think that that makes sense well i am a brainologist <laughs> and i can tell you it does make sense <laughs> but i know i have the same fear and, and again yeah i mean of course there are things out of our control and mm-hmm. um you know, yeah, we have to accept that. But I do, I have the same, I have the same fear and I don't, I don't want to be one of those people in their fifties that haven't updated a belief since they were 30, you know, like, like once in a while, whenever I, if I find myself saying something that I've like, well, like I always say something, anything that would fall into that category. (laughs) You're like, as my catchphrase is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm slowly becoming a soundboard with 90 options. Picking which yeah. thing I say is most appropriate for this one. But whenever yeah. I catch myself, I'm like, okay, wait, let's interrogate that belief and make sure it's it's still something you believe because, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. And then I think the other side of that is uh, learning new skills and just putting yourself out there in a way that yeah. you might not otherwise. It's it's hard I mean, though, be, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how long did it take you to, did okay, so when you first did this first batch of cartoons, did you then go back weekly or... Because I know you were working full time. I was. Point. So I think the, the the week I went happened because I was writing for a show and we had a typical nine to five schedule. And mm-hmm. so I couldn't uh, I couldn't go every week. And mm-hmm. the week I went happened to fall on one of our hiatuses. So I was off that mm-hmm. day. But then after that initial rejection, I think one, I didn't have time to keep drawing and I, it was, I knew it was going to take me a little while to get mm-hmm. good, good at it. And so I was like, okay, why don't, I, why don't I take this sort of humbling experience and go back to my little creative cave and work on myself a bit before mm-hmm. I venture back, you know, to the, to the editor. And, mm-hmm. um, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> <laughs> Super hilarious time. Super We've fun. And and that was when I all of the live shows that I mean, I guess I've actually I just found out that people kept doing live shows during the pandemic, which it was I was so startled. I had no idea because I canceled all things. And oh, you mean like for stand up? Yeah. Like I met a stand up the other day who said, oh, I never stopped. I got COVID. I think he said he got COVID like two or three times and he just kept. Yeah, doing- I kind of low key hate those people. I'm like. <laughs> fuck you. I took a year and a half off and then I took another few months off during Omicron. And it's like, I thought we were all sacrificing together. I thought the whole comforting thing of this was nobody was going to get ahead of me. (laughs) You kept running the race while I was on the sideline. Fuck you. (laughs) I take it so personally. I'm like spreading disease aside. (laughs) This is a personal attack on me. (laughs) 
<laughs> How dare you impact my career in this way? No, I, I, I really, I was also like, I was just stunned. And yeah, well, but but I did what you did. I, I, I stepped mm-hmm. aside. So I had all of a sudden ha- went from having almost no nights free to 100% of my nights free. And so mm-hmm. I decided, okay, well, this maybe this is the time to really try to get better. So I started drawing at least one cartoon a day and then... Um, you know, when you do something every day, it's just startling how much you improve. How like it's like, I think we forget like how much you can get better at something if you just do it because so yeah. much of our time is spent thinking about doing something instead of actually doing yeah. it. And you're like, oh, if I actually just did this, it's not. So, anyways, I started doing it every day and then started submitting weekly and then um, within a year that I sold my first one and that was the. Uh, I mean, honestly, one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> I was so excited. And by then, did you get to do it in person or was that virtual? No. So now it's, I mean, it's it's actually still not in person. So we're, oh. now now we just email the the batches uh, every week and then it's all, yeah, all over email. I, I hope one day it, it starts being in person, person again, only because it's a fun way to meet other people doing it. But Yeah. And I would think it's like, there's something about, I think because partially because like people like you and I grew up not thinking this is a real job and or like not thinking it's something you could pursue or whatever. There is something about going into an office where you're like, I'm in the Netflix building. (laughs) Look at me. And it's like, okay, they have like 400 people coming in for meetings every day. But like just going there and just seeing like there's something that is so satisfying about that that's not as satisfying if you were to do the exact same thing virtually because it's like well i'm still sitting here in my office (laughs) yes no there's something so majestic about seeing the logo for some company i Mm -hmm. I, the first time i went to la and took a handful of you know general meetings i wasn't even pitching Mm -hmm. anything but just walking in and yeah yeah like seeing like this is HBO, like, like this is the building that we call HBO. And I was like, oh my God, this this thing is HBO. There is a physical presence that is HBO. I'm... Like each one is a castle that rules <laughs> yeah. a kingdom of television. <laughs> yeah. So I I know I totally relate to that, and I think it's and I think you're right. It's hard to capture that same uh, majestic quality when you're mm-hmm. sitting, you know, we- wearing shorts and a button up shirt in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so after you got the first cartoon in, first of all, do you remember it? I mean, I assume you remember it. Oh, I do. It's actually not my favorite one, but um, oh. it's uh, it is a it's a doctor, and there's a patient with who's and he has a bunch of bags of blood, like he's been given, you know, drawing a lot of mm-hmm. blood, and the doctor says, um, "Wait, how many gallons are in a pint?" <laughs> so the whole thing is that this man has drawn gallons of blood from, from this patient, um, and yeah, yeah. So that 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 was that was the first one. I love that. That's really funny. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, did you? I mean, did you get it? Did you have it printed and get it framed? Because I would. I I well actually my wife did as as a gift and I'm and I love oh, that's it. That's really sweet. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, yeah. It's it's really cool. I still keep all the magazines that have one of my cartoons in it, and I have this drawer. And I think when I first started it, I thought I, I got to hold on to this. And now the drawer is is full, and I'm like, maybe I should start only keeping the good ones. Like I don't want my house to be like a stack of New Yorker magazines. But I, I, as of now, I'm still keeping them all. 
I think in your defense, I think a lot of us have uh, a stack of New Yorker magazines at home, but it's just articles we think we're going to read one day. (laughs) Well, the next time I'm on a plane, I'm going to need a magazine. So I really should just hold on to this. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I that's totally my move, too, by the way. I'll just bring a ton of old magazines on a plane because then I'm like, oh, I can read them and then I leave them and then I don't have to haul them back like I do a book. That's such a I mean, first of all, congratulations on actually reading them. I feel like every time I bring something on a plane, be it a book or a bag, anything, I always think, well, I have six hours. I'm just going to read whatever this thing is that I've been putting off. And then the uh-huh. second I, I get on the plane, I watch a movie and fall asleep and, and I never read anything. <laughs> and then I just have this thing that I brought with me that, that, I, that I have to bring back and read, read another time. That's so fun. See, I'm like, we were talking before we started recording about like beating jet lag, which I think that I can do. And I don't know if I actually do it. But last time I was overseas when on my flight back in order to time it out so that I would sleep when during like overnight in LA, I had to stay up for the whole 12 hour flight or 16 hour flight or whatever it was, which I made myself do. This sounds like torture. <laughs> it is absolute hell. <laughs> but I read something like eight New Yorkers. No <laughs> way. Like, I brought all of these and I got through all of them because I was just like, I have to, I have to stay up and I have to do this. And I was so determined to not drag these magazines back with me. I mean, that's so incredible. How do you avoid the temptation of a movie playing device? Uh, Like, it's so, even if you're reading, the movie playing device is looking back at you the whole time. It's so hard to say no to that for me. I think, well, two things. Um, I feel a tremendous amount of guilt watching TV and movies because I feel like I'm being unproductive, even though I write for television. And this is an absurd thing for me to say. I feel like it's a reward I haven't earned. Uh, Oh my (laughs) God. That's honestly, that's that's such a healthy mindset because I will watch anything. And justify to myself as research. I'll think, you know, I'm not wasting my time. I'm watching this movie in case I decide to ever write, a, you know, a thriller. And I, I'm not writing yeah. thrillers, so it's it's 100% <laughs> just to justify it to myself. But you, you, that's wow. I also have on my absurd to do list like watch X, Y, and Z, and I can't because because it is so ingrained in my brain that that is a reward that I'm undeserving because <laughs> I haven't like worked hard enough or whatever. It's also I do, I'm just not like in the habit of watching a lot of television because like growing up my parents were like get outside like I didn't mm. there was a TV in the house and it was whatever my parents felt like watching. There was no kids deciding so it's like okay well you can stay in and watch 60 minutes or you can <laughs> go outside and color on the side of the let me outside which is what let I me did. go let me go <laughs> not leslie saw no I, I i my my family had we also had one tv and well it was we had one tv in my parents room so you could watch yeah again like what they were watching although i think for us it was er and nypd blue where the, the, mm-hmm. the, the that was their appointment television every week was er and nypd blue but then we had <laughs> another tv that we only rolled out if someone was sick. So if someone was sick, we could watch Saturday morning cartoons or something like that. But other than okay. that, it, it stayed, it, I think it was literally in a closet. Like your parents are substitute teachers. <laughs> oh, we're just gonna play a video. <laughs> you you guys wanna watch Armageddon? Like, Let this thing watch you for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, but my, my, when I, say, I also didn't watch that much TV growing up. So I, I, I do relate to, um, 
I do relate to what you're saying. That's really funny. Um, you so you're writing all these cartoons. I mean, presumably, even the ones that you don't get into the magazine, you still like. Do you do something with that, or are you compiling them into a book or something? I mean, first of all, that's such a great presumption. This is an idea I've just come up with for you. I'm just pitching <laughs> career ideas. You. you are now my literary agent. Congratulations. <laughs> Um, pitch my book. No, I, I'm. My dream is to uh, a dream, not my dream. A dream of mine is to uh, is to have enough to make one of those cartoon a day tearaway calendars. Because oh yeah, I think that would be really fun. And I and when I grew up, we all, we always had the Far Side one. So I think uh-huh. that's always been a romanticized. Th- and I don't even know if any, like no like I would make this and like one person would buy it and it would be my mom. Like I, I don't know why I'm doing <laughs> this, but but I, I would like to have that. But um my my rejected cartoons uh, I I either post on Instagram or on my Patreon, and then. I, I mean, presumption aside, there are some I don't like, and those just live on my iPad forever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you actively not like them when you pitch them? Or are you like, sure, here, look at this one? I mean, I think the truth is there's always like... <laughs> I, I just write sorry on the bat. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. My batch is attached. I'm really sorry about number two and five. Um, no, I, I think... I think in, in in any given batch, there's one or two that I like. Mm-hmm. There's one that I like, but don't think they'll buy. And I'm almost always right about that. I'll think, that, yeah, I like this, but I don't think they'll go mm-hmm. for it. And I feel like there's always one or two that's, I, mean, I, I don't want to like insult my, I, they, they're like, they're fine. Like they work. Sure. In the adequate. same way that when you're writing, um, you know, like when you're writing anything on a deadline, you have to have a punchline there. Like, you can't not yeah. have a punchline. Yeah. But you're going to have some punchlines that you know aren't the best ones. And you know that later you can go in and add better ones. Um, I think it's the same thing with cartoons. Where, I'll, like, I need five, so I'll, I'll... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what a batch is? Just five? I mean, is that, like, the low number? Or what it, are they, like, bring us unlimited? <laughs> I think it was 400 cartoons. I think, <laughs> I think at one point a batch was defined as 10... And I know some people will do more. I don't think there's any explicit uh, mm-hmm. limitations on it. But I, I think uh, I've heard about at least one guy who submits like 20 at a time. And I think 20 every week, which is so wild to me. Um, That's a lot. I know. It's so many. I, don't, I, I literally don't know when he would have the time to physically draw that many. Um, but I usually do. But I think, I think the most I've submitted was 10 and the least I've submitted is five. So it's somewhere between. Okay. All right. Nice to know that there's like a, there's bumpers on either end. Yeah. yeah. I just imagine it being, and maybe this is from that documentary that I dreamed, uh, <laughs> yeah. dreamed in unison. But that, Teeth were uh, falling I somehow out. Had, yeah. I somehow had in my mind that it had to be 20 and I'm like, that's, it's things like that. Like hearing things like that, I think put up an automatic block where it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I guess I'll never pursue this <laughs> thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the one piece. It's the it's the move to LA if you don't have a job. New York if you do. Like it's yeah. like you hear it once, and now it becomes this tentpole belief that like you have no reason to question. Um, I, yeah. I know. I think maybe twenty was. I don't know. I just know what I do. I do know one guy who submitted at least once. He submitted a single cartoon as his batch and mm-hmm. sold it. So that made me think. Oh my god! I mean, that's the level of confidence. Unfathomable. 
a yeah. unthinkable <laughs> level of confidence. I can't imagine. Just like you're going to buy this because you quite honestly have no other choice. This is the this best is one. all I have <laughs> yeah. is one. Yeah. And uh, I have to make money today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you started doing the cartoons, I mean, obviously you were a seasoned joke writer by then, but d were you already good at the drawing part of it or? I would argue that I'm still not very good at the drawing part of it, but I, I mean, I, I grew up, my dad is an artist and he, so oh, that's awesome. He, he would give us art lessons. So I, I had what? some. That's so cool. I know. It's Who really. Who cares about a television? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the television of my life the piece of paper with my dad's pen um <laughs> yeah but no but so I, he gave me lessons on you know i had like foundational belief, knowledge like what mm -hmm. is a horizon line what is foreshortening sort of mm -hmm. conceptual uh things that i needed to know but i never took it that seriously and if you look back at and please don't but if you look back at the things <laughs> i was drawing a couple of years ago you'll notice that it's always um, it's basically, it's always the same person. They always have their hands in their pockets because I didn't know how to draw hands. And it's always hands profile. Are so hard. <laughs> hands are so hard. Why? We got to get rid of hands. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Just generally. <laughs> just get rid of those things. They're hard to draw. I don't know what purpose they serve. But, not, but um, I think for me, the way, and again, I'm not still not good at it per se, but I think the way mm -hmm. I improved was just, forcing myself to draw things that I hadn't drawn. And then once you draw something a few times, then it becomes something you're able to. So mm -hmm. now I'm able to draw someone from behind. Like, I think I, I would do the, the things that like little kids do. Like I would draw someone from behind and think, somehow I still need to be able to see their eyes. So I would add an <laughs> eye, you know, to like as, like as far to the left as possible on the back of their head. And it's like, well, no, sometimes you just can't see an eye. But like, that's what little kids do. They're like, people I'm, have two I'm eyes. I'm familiar with this belief, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't do it anymore. But you know what I mean? I guess maybe not like. You're all... like, but they definitely need a nose. They like, definitely eyes, need... we know. <laughs> How else will we know they have a face? Um, so I think I've gotten better just by practicing. And I use a lot of reference photos. You know, like, t I'll take a picture of myself doing the thing that I need a character doing and then drawing gallons of blood from someone yeah so what i did is i found someone who had a lot of blood and i drew i drew seven gallons of blood um anyways i'm wanted for murder and <laughs> but it's for your art but so it's for my like art not... like they helped me get better i don't know what else they could want it doesn't really count i don't really see the difference between that and like somebody donating their corpse to science yeah it's this <laughs> it's just a forced donation <laughs> uh that's hilarious i feel like you i mean maybe this is just maybe i'm way way off but it seems like you have enough to do a tearaway calendar uh, you know i think i might have enough numerically but i think i want enough i think i want um you know i want i want all bangers i don't want there to be a day mm -hmm. where people are like oh why is this one in so i think yeah. i think i'm holding myself to a slightly higher standard than than sure i maybe could but once i have you know, 365 ones that I feel really happy with. Then, then I'll do this this tearaway That's calendar fair. that no one's asking for. <laughs> I Can I put in an early request? Like, my birthday is November 4th. If you could put something cool there. <laughs> November 4th. November 4th. That's that's going to be that's gonna be blood, uh, blood gallons of blood. Asher's murdered someone cartoon. Thank you. And you'll, you'll know it. the backstory. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I get a calendar, there's something about, like, I think people just think November sucks generally. And so it's always like, it could be 
a, ca- a like a hanging calendar of like beautiful tropical fish, and then for some reason November will have like a rotted pumpkin, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> this this doesn't feel right. It's my birthday month. I mean, you think people <laughs> you think people hate November because it's kind of like between or you, because it's like before the holidays, but not the ho- because it, I guess it has Thanksgiving. I think there's that and the colors you associate with November typically are like burnt orange and brown. And so people are like, well, here's a turd. That's brown. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like. Whatever. It's November. Print. Yeah. Yeah, I stopped buying calendars because of this. Partially. (laughs) Because I'm just like, fuck you. I want the cool thing in November. It's just Lisa's birthday month. Put a piece of shit on there. We're fine. (laughs) Another personal attack by way of somebody just doing their job. (laughs) (laughs) It's full of these. (laughs) Um, Well, I can't wait for you to have a a tearaway calendar. Although I don't know if I can buy it because then anytime I bought one of those, I I keep my favorite ones. And I am sad to say that I am uh, in my 30s and I still have some paper clipped together that I like from old calendars. And I'm like, why do I why do I keep these? So I can't I can't allow myself to buy. I mean, please allow me to enable your paper hoarding habit. I want want stacks of paper. The problem is (laughs) this is audio. I get it. But yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, but because I know you uh, like I would just keep the whole thing and that would just be something i have for all eternity if you had all of them just plastered on your walls it would look like a serial killer's dwelling like you that's d- gonna be my new uh office background is just <laughs> and people are like oh did you draw those sure didn't oh and yes it is a calendar you're right <laughs> 2023 we're in 2041 right now yeah <laughs> yeah the dates don't line up the same, but you get the idea. Um, <laughs> uh, I have one last question for you. If your childhood self, like eight, 10 year old Asher could meet you as an adult, what do you think he would think of you? Oh my gosh. I've never <laughs> thought about this. What would, what would um, I think eight, eight and 10 year old Asher was sort of scared and intimidated by all, by anyone over 20. So I think that he would likely just be kind of scared and intimidated, <laughs> but only because I'm an adult. Um, I'm trying to think of any adults I knew when I was eight or ten that I had impressions of other than I'm scared. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scared because, like, I, I, I like even high school students. I remember thinking like they're adults. Those are not. Um, yeah. So I don't know what he would think, but I would be very nice to him, and uh, I think it would be very fun. Please, are you arranging this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, have I got a surprise for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Portals opened up behind her. <laughs> I feel like we're 50 years out from that. Yes, the planet will be unlivable, but you will be able to physically meet your child himself. <laughs> but so, watch I this. Mean, <laughs> six of one, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take the bad with the good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, what do you want people to check out, people listening? Oh, my gosh. Well, there's, uh, number one, there's a really uh, great show. It's called Long Story Long. got to check it out. <laughs> uh, go Dive into the back catalog. I did it this week, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, there's a Josh Gondelman episode that's very good. There's lots there of sure episodes. Is. Very good. Um, 
but of uh, of my stuff. I mean, honestly, just uh, I'm I'm just on I'm I'm just on Instagram and Twitter. So if you find my stuff there, that would be great. Maybe one day I'll start TikToking, but um, <laughs> you'll start acting out your cartoons. I'm gonna start. Oh my god, that that'll be my TikTok. Just act. <laughs> Why is, that is he doing? It seems to be the path to success. So I don't. I can't not recommend it. All right, I'll give it a shot. So yeah, by the time this airs, I'll be on TikTok. I'll be very famous, so please follow me there too. But uh, yeah, just just Twitter, just Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. It's great talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, that was Asher Perlman. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Asher Perlman. It's P-E-R-L-M-A-N. And I'm Lisa Curry. You can find me on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else at Olympian Lisa Curry. This weekend, I will be headlining Greater Purpose Brewery. We should get rid of that word. Uh, beer place uh, <laughs> in Santa Cruz. This that's this Friday and Saturday, the 10th and 11th of June. So come check me out there if you're in the area, or you know what, if you feel like driving to the area or flying to the area. I don't know your business. I'm not going to stop you from coming out. Um, and in the meantime, uh, please follow me on Instagram because uh, you can see all my show dates there. I post lots of cool you know, travel photos, all that kind of stuff, and millions and millions of photos of my dog. And she's perfect. So you're going to want to check that out. Other than that, we will see you right back here next week. Thanks so much. And bye.